Chapter 13 of Anglo-American Memories by George Washburn Smalley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13. Charles Sumner, A Private View. The anti-slavery leaders who emerged about the same time from the groups of mediocrities enveloping them were Wendell Phillips and Charles Sumner. So essentially was Sumner an idealist that he might naturally have cast in his lot with those who preferred ideals to party politics, but other influences finally prevailed, and he embarked on that career which in due time made him the leader of the anti-slavery forces to whom freedom seemed possible by political methods on the whole even among the group of men which included andrew i think sumner must be put first his province was larger the range of his activities greater and there were more moments than one when he was the most conspicuous figure in american public life of his scholarship his legal attainments his multifarious and accurate knowledge his immense powers of work everybody has heard i do not enter upon that the sumner i shall speak of is the sumner i knew in the account first published in the new york tribune of my first meeting with bismarck in eighteen sixty six i said that i had heard much from bismarck which i could not repeat on my return i saw sumner almost instantly he asked me what it was bismarck had told me which i could not repeat in print the question was embarrassing enough and i answered rather slowly mr sumner much of what count bismarck said that seemed to me confidential related to diplomatic and international matters and you are chairman of the senate committee on foreign relations it would not have been said to you sumner reflected a moment and then answered i suppose you are right i won't ask you about anything which you think you ought not to repeat but you must consider that notwithstanding all that bismarck has accomplished he is still an unknown force my own belief is that the future of germany lies in his hands the man who could defy the public opinion of europe in that business with denmark who could defy the public opinion and parliament of prussia who could govern four years without a budget or a majority who could make war without supplies and without his country behind him and his king only a convert at the last moment to his policy that man though he has put austria under his feet and prussia in austria's place at the head of germany is in my judgment only at the beginning of his career he is the one supremely interesting figure in europe at this moment i have never met him probably may never meet him but it is important to me to know all i can about him violate no confidence but tell me what you can i will make no use of it except to inform my own mind when i have to deal with count bismarck i want to be able to picture to myself what manner of man he is in diplomacy a knowledge of men is half the battle this long speech was characteristic of sumner he was seldom brief or simple his mind overflowed in private as in public he was oratorical the sentences as they came from his lips seemed to have passed through a mould he spoke with a model before him the most sincere of men he was never content to be himself and nobody else 
in the murmur of the flowing periods he often uttered you heard echoes of cicero of boissuet of burke perhaps it was true of him as emerson said not of him that his library overloaded his wit he moved as if in armour a mixed but apt metaphor the chair in which he sat was a platform and his one listener was an audience he neglected in his private talk none of the arts of the rhetorician whoever has heard sumner in the senate or in fanwy hall must remember the imposing presence of the man his stature and the leonine head with its waving black mane which every moment he tossed from his forehead only to have it fall again half over his eyes the strong features stood out sharply the eyes were alight the lips moulded into plastic form the most stubborn sentences and the whole blended into one expression after another at the will of the speaker each expression the visible image of his thought he was so intent on bending his audience to his will that he used without stint every weapon at his command in private all this was a little overwhelming as it comes back to me in memory my view of it is probably more critical than it was when i sat and looked and listened but it still seems to me extremely fine in england the country of all others where simplicity counts for most sumner was thought emphatic and the english do not like emphasis but they liked sumner he was first here as a young man in eighteen thirty eight and eighteen forty when he was still in the late thirties and these mannerisms were presumably less mannered or less aggressive but the men and women whom sumner then came to know were men and women who dwelt on the heights i suppose the average of serious culture at that time in that class was at least as high as it is now they liked a man with a full mind sumner had that and he poured it out in a flood macaulay had taught his set or the several sets to which she more or less belonged to endure conversation which took the form of monologue and rivalled the laborious accuracy of a cyclopedia people suffered under him lady holland and hayward and lord melbourne and others rebelled but there were not many who rebelled sumner's path had therefore been made plain nor was he dogmatic in macaulay's way he was human and his enthusiasms were human and he was sympathetic but when sumner in eighteen sixty nine made his indirect claims speech in the senate seeking to induce the government to demand from england indirect damages for the depredations of the alabama his popularity in this country came to a sudden end his best friends were those who resented this speech most hotly and mr bright most of all to mr bright i once undertook to defend sumner or to explain him for i thought he had been misunderstood but mr bright would not have it the only defence is silence he exclaimed and he was the more angry when i said that will do for an epigram and we never referred to it again so far as i could i satisfied sumner's interest about bismarck whom i had seen at short range and with whom on the evening in question i had spent some three hours alone sumner asked question after question with one definite object he wanted to understand the man himself 
once or twice he put a searching interrogatory on matters of diplomacy or on the relations between the king and his great minister which had to be answered with reserve he showed an astonishing knowledge of purely prussian politics and even of prussian politicians he asked if it was true that louis and other liberals had owned they were wrong in opposing bismarck and when i said yes exclaimed then they showed more good sense than i expected i spent some days with mr sumner in his house in lafayette square in washington now part of a washington hotel a plainly furnished house hardly a home chiefly remarkable for its books and for sumner he was a kindly host anxious that his guest should make the most of his visit and see the men he wanted to see i wanted to ask him why he had on a former visit advised me not to see lincoln but i did not but lincoln was now dead and among the giants who survived him sumner was the most attractive personality he became more attractive still some years later in eighteen seventy two when he came to europe for the rest which his long warfare first with president johnson and then with president grant had made imperative he came first to london staying or as the english perversely say stopping at penton's hotel st james street then a hostelry of repute now extinct he had a large suite of rooms on the ground floor at the back gloomy and intensely respectable i dined with him the night of his arrival i don't know what kind of a dinner they will give us said sumner but you shall have a bottle of chateau lafitte of eighteen forty seven and the rest will matter less he loved great bordeaux as all good men do and his talk flowed like old wine a full pure stream with both flavour and bouquet and not much of the best claret has both it is not possible to repeat much of sumner's talk for it was mostly personal and intimate but i asked him whether he still felt the effects of those coward blows which preston brooks had dealt him from behind as he sat imprisoned in his chair in the senate he was not sure he doubted whether he had ever completely recovered though it was now some sixteen years since that particular piece of south carolina chivalry had been perpetrated he thought everything had been done for him which could be done what he told me may or may not have been printed i do not know when the moxa was to be applied to his spine dr charlotte proposed to give him an anaesthetic but said sumner does not the effect you seek to produce the counter-irritation depend more or less on the pain the patient would endure without the anaesthetic yes charlotte admitted reluctantly it probably does then let us go ahead without ether said sumner and they did i understood the treatment consisted in laying along the spine cotton wool soaked in oil and setting fire to it when after two or three days the burn is partly healed the operation is renewed and the pain of course more severe but no ether was administered after his first attack of angina pectoris the pain said sumner which i endured in a single second from one of those spasms was more than all i ever suffered from all the applications of the moxa we went together from london by way of boulogne to paris staying two nights at boulogne at one of the beach hotels 
sumner was like a boy his sixty-one years sat lightly on him and his interests were as fresh as i had ever known them he loved the sea and the sea air an air so much more exhilarating on the southern coast of the channel than the northern he was amused to hear that the customs authorities had passed all our luggage his and mine because i had told them he was a senator and still more amused later when the dover customs on our return had shown him the same indulgence as the honourable charles sumner honourable denoting in england not political distinction but membership of a family the head of which is a peer in paris as in london we had rambled about the bookshops i dare say remarked sumner you thought from my books at home that i cared nothing for books as books or for bindings but you will see and he proceeded to buy a certain number of so-called fine bindings which alas were not so fine as they ought to have been less than two years after his last months in europe he died i have still much to say about him and there are many letters of his to me which i hope to print but they are not here and i must end when i remember what has been said so often of sumner by men who did not know him or did not like him i may be allowed to end with a tribute of affection i thought him and i shall ever think of him one of the most lovable of men more than loyal to his friends delighting in kindnesses to them of an implacable honesty sincerity devotion to duty and to high ideals an american to whom america has paid high honor but never yet enough End of chapter thirteen